What was the reason for the world's hatred of the disciples that Jesus spoke of in John 17, 14? Was the same true for believers throughout church history? Is it true for us today? If so, what will we do when the gloves come off? I want to know. It is my great joy to welcome each and every one of you once again to the Doctrine of Christ, because whether you know it or not, the Doctrine of Christ is the most important thing in your life. Jimmy, I'm excited to be back here with another episode this evening. I am too, brother. I am too. We're going to entitle this episode this evening, When the Gloves Come Off, and we're going to be drawing the life out of John chapter 17 and the 14th verse. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now, this is Jesus speaking of giving the words of the Father to his disciples, and he identifies this as the reason of the world's hatred. Now, this is something for us to think about. It wasn't because they were religious or did this or that or any other thing, but they received the words of the Father that were transmitted to them for Christ. That is the specific reason for the hatred of the world. And we've identified this many times, um, and there are many people today who profess Christ, but they don't want the words of the Father. In John chapter 14 and verse 10, believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. And we've read these scriptures, and we've emphasized this before, and we come here upon meditating on the supreme importance of it, that Christ in his final prayer understands and identifies the reason for the world's hatred. And the same is certainly true today. You can go to thousands of churches, profess the name of Christ, and never have the world's hatred. But once the words of Christ and the words of the Father are put into life practice and obedience. That's when it comes. And I think in such a profoundly straightforward, clear statement that the world hates you because you received the Father's words I gave to you. And that's it. And when we miss this, you know, this is something we just read over. But there's something very specific here. In John chapter 3 and verse 34, it said, For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. Over and over, the emphasis on Jesus speaking the words of the Father 
by the power of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 7 and the 16th verse. Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. You know, such clear, unmistakable statements that you can't take more than one way. And, you know, I've I've come through this some time ago, but the truths that we stand for and preach, which are the, the simple truths of Christ, uh, if these be obeyed, you will be totally incompatible with the modern American religious system, just as Christ was with Pharisees. I'm going to read something from George Newton and our three counselors. And we're going to hear from some other folks also this evening. But our three main counselors are three Puritan friends, George Newton, Anthony Burgess and Thomas Manton. All three wrote so eloquently on John 17. And Brother Newton said this. He says, and then the causes of it are annexed. By what means it comes to pass that they are so maligned in the world, and this is not for any evil that is in them or done by them, but either first because they receive the word of God, not into their knowledge only, but into their practice and obedience too. And when we go there and we have to say, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not lie with a man as you lie with a woman. These are the things that if these things be obeyed and adhered to and lifted up as valid, that's where the hate of the world will come. And there's going there have been many. We're going to look at some of the historical time periods when the gloves come off. And there are times when, uh, you, you know, and. The apostate church, and I'll just call it that because I think the, it's very appropriate. They're not going to make the devil mad because they don't stand for anything. They don't stand against sin. They're not going to stand. They'll stand against some sin as long as it doesn't cost them anything. But they're not going to teach obedience to God and obedience to God's law. And the devil, I believe, wakes people up on Sunday morning so they won't be late for church. Because as long as people are in a mess like that, they're no threat to the devil at all. But if you receive the words of the Father from Christ, then it's on. Then it's on. Then you will incur the wrath of the world. I think he adds a little twist to it, though. He does want you to get up and go to church, but then he also wants you to have a fight with somebody in your family on the way there so that just in case you did hear something good at church, you're you're not focused on Enough. I remember it seemed like almost every week going to church, my kids or my wife or my, even when I was younger, even when my parents, my dad was a pastor, seemed like something would always just happen Sunday morning. <laughs> Not quite in the right frame of mind by the time we get to church. And I realize I'm painting with a broad brush here. Everything out there isn't bad. Right. But it's not too far from the mark. Uh, and even the people, uh, I was talking with one lady this evening about a certain fella that was real good on a few things. and uh, But the doctrine of Christ, never going to hear it, never hear it there. And that's the way most people are. And it ain't like, well, 
We, we got 10 here. Let's see if we get – he's got 5 out of 10. This guy here – well, he's got 8 out of 10. If you don't have the doctrine of Christ, you don't have God. And there's only one doctrine, Jesus said, uh, to teach all things whatsoever I have commanded you. It's not either you'll do this or maybe we'll do something else. If you want to fulfill the Great Commission, it's right there, and it's no place else. Very simple, very straightforward, as is this basic premise that the words of the Father that were given to Christ, that were given to the disciples, this is the cause of the world's hatred. And there will be a time, there have been many times historically, and certainly with our three uh, Puritan friends, they lived in the time in the 1600s when the gloves came off and the Puritans were hated by the Church of England and the Catholics. They were driven from the pulpits, driven into exile, uh, persecuted under the death, loss of property. And it was literally, they they passed one law called the Five Mile Act. And if you could catch a Puritan within five miles of the church he preached in, he could immediately be put in prison. And it was severe. And I've read, and so touching, um, which one was it? One of my Puritans, I can't recall the name, but when that when the king come for him, he didn't even have time to go home. He just fled for his life. And he lived in exile for several years before he could come home. And, uh, oh, darn, I'm sorry, I just can't call the name. But he would write letters to his wife and children when he was in exile. And these letters are so touching. And his wife wrote back and said, uh, I would rather have you dead than a compromiser. And she says, don't give in. Wasn't that John Bunyan? No, it wasn't Bunyan. It sounds Bunyan. similar because yeah, I know he there was, was in jail for a lot of his oh, marriage. Yeah. And this one, and I apologize, I could go into my bookcase and see it. But you uh, told us that story I think before. It, I think it was William Budge. I think it was William Budge. But this was a common story of so many of them uh, with um, John Flavel. His father, he was a young boy when the gloves come off and his father was a Puritan minister. They put him in prison and he died of the plague in prison, but it didn't make him bitter. It made him better. And he was one of the brightest lights for Christ. Um, Spurgeon said that he was right up there with Bunyan and Whitfield as a flame for Christ. And this is the scope of the teaching tonight that the the gloves have come off many times in history and the glove is going to come off again and we need to understand why they will it'll it, they'll come off because there was a people that would not compromise with the lord and in the time when the Pur puritan persecution fell in the 1600s the church of england basically they passed the act of uniformity and they said, you have to use the Book of Common Prayer and the liturgy of the Church of England. And they said, there's one head of the church, that's Christ. We cannot compromise and we cannot be led by anyone but the Holy Spirit. We have but one head, and that is Christ. And it was on. I want to read something. Um, a lot of people have heard of the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Everybody should read the Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it's kind of a little bitty book. I'll show you a book here. It's called The Martyr's Mirror. 
and I just hold them up so you can see. I mean, this thing is huge. It is multiple times larger than Fox's Book of Martyrs, and what it does, it just goes into so much more historical detail. I'm going to read from page 1,120. Thousands of men, women, and children that suffered horrifically and gave their life for Christ. Many of their names are long forgotten. And even the idea that people should suffer and die for Christ has become an antiquated concept. I'll just read one little excerpt from this. This is what happened. This took place in 1642, and it happened because a man refused to attend the church that he considered to be apostate. He refused to go to church, and this is what happened to him. He wouldn't. Uh, it wasn't enough that they could have the little apostate church, but you're going to applaud for me. And, you know, you're going to come down and say I'm right and good or or well, this is what had happened. It says um, his name was Felix Landis. Finally, however, uh, they gave him some food, but he was so impaired in his body through shrinking of his bowels, as it seems he could not bear food anymore, but prepared himself for death. And they just starved him to where literally his bowels compressed to where he couldn't eat. He said, yet in his distress, he was carried to church during the sermon where he, oh, dreadful inhumanity, was thrown under a bench. But he soon after gave up the ghost, which he had commended into the hands of God. He refused to go to church. So they starved him to where he couldn't even eat anymore. Then they took him to church and they threw him under the bench of the church where he drew his last press. You know, I wonder, what, 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 you, know, how, you know, what would the people do? You know, you're there in church, and they throw a guy under there to die under the bench, you know, and it's crazy. This is something out of a horror movie. I'm just sitting here thinking about where the love of Christ is in all this. What Bible were they reading from? Maybe they didn't have a Bible yet. Oh, they had one. <laughs> But they wasn't paying attention. And this is what happens when were the they, gloves come off. Were they reading the Latin Vulgate? Yeah. Yeah, they were into uh, that little Dewey Doodah Bible. Um, but yeah, but see, the gloves come off. And you see, uh, there's a veneer and Satan will grin like possum. And you don't want, he doesn't want people to really know what he's really like. But then he'll show himself and the gloves will come off. And we don't want to be fooled. At the hatred, the hatred for Bible Christians right now that will just simply obey the law of God is escalating to a hatred that is being ramped up to a place where we're already seeing uh, violent attacks and murders of Christians right here in America. And the gloves are going to come off and the gloves are going to come off at the highest level and it's going to be on. And just like. You know, in the book of Revelation, it talks about um, anyone that wouldn't worship the beast or receive his mark uh, would be persecuted unto the death. And that's what happened to this poor fellow back there in the 1600s. He just wouldn't go to church. He says, I, I, I can't do that. It's not it's an abomination to God. So uh, we'll, we'll fix you. 
And you see, the gloves are going to come off. That's what we need to realize, that this has been a cyclical thing in history where this very foundational reason where Christ identifies our receiving of his words as the very words of the Father, that's it right there. That's what it's always been. Now, we'll look at Anthony Burgess here, and he said this. Um, he said, the cause of their hatred in the world, in those words, I have given them thy word, where the antecedent is necessarily meant, the consequence for Christ giving or preaching the word, unless they received and obeyed it, was not enough to procure hatred. Therefore, they are both expressed in verse 8, Christ giving them and receiving of the word for the Pharisees and many enemies to Christ who were of the world and the greatest part of those that did oppose did yet hear the gospel was tendered unto them, though they made themselves unworthy thereof. So it's a little more. Um, and he also gives a quote here that's fascinating. And he gives a quote from Tertullian. And, it, uh, and Tertullian said that uh, in his day, in the second century, to be a Christian was to be a public enemy, <laughs> you know, and that takes us, you know, we had, there's been many waves of persecution in the Antonicene church. We've seen it in the Puritans, uh, the abject hatred of John Wesley. Uh, they, there was uh, one time when they knocked, he was preaching in a, in a dirt street. And there were horses and carriages there, and someone knocked him out with a brick, and they were getting ready to trample him with horses. And his brother and John Fletcher, each one grabbed a leg, and they pulled him out of the way of those stampeding horses. Uh, you know, Charles Finney was preaching in New York in the 1800s. They set the church on fire during the service. And then when the firemen came, they just sit there and just watched it burn. The gloves are going to come off. The gloves are going to come off. And we we need to understand that we read from the books of men that were not cowards, that they were principled. They were faithful unto the death. And there's a common thread through it all. The receiving of the words of the Christ as the words of the Father and being obedient unto it. And, you know, maybe we need to start talking about receiving the doctrine of Christ. You know, you can hear the doctrine of Christ. You could listen to the doctrine of Christ every week. But have you received it? Have you received the doctrine of Christ as the supreme rule and authority of your life? Have you received it? Have you absolutely committed yourself to it? And 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, Paul said this. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. And have you received the word of Christ? And have you received the word of God? And or do you consider the word of God to be just the word of men? All men just wrote it, just written by men. You know, it's full of errors. 
full of mistakes written by men, or have you received it as the word of God? And this is it. Have you received the doctrine of Christ? And have you received the words of the Father? That's what will get you in trouble with the devil. That right there is what will do it. And all of the hearing, and this is why the apostate church is immune from persecution. They are just seeing how much of the world that they can bring into the church. And in James chapter 1 and verse 22, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. That's how you deceive yourself when you listen to the word of God, but don't obey it. And there's something within our fallen nature that makes us think, well, you know, I'll get up and uh, I know I had a fight with my wife on the way or what, but I'll, I'll go to church and boy, I listened and I, I put 20 bucks on the plate. So I hurt, you know, I'm there, you know, I believe it, but the going to the do part never gets there. Romans chapter two and verse 13 for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Now, wait just a minute here, full stop. We're talking about justification and the, the doers and the people that are obedient to the law shall be justified because the words of Christ are the words of the Father, and if we are obedient unto God's law and the doctrine of Christ, we will be justified. There's no justification outside of obedience, none whatsoever. And this is another one of the huge misconceptions that's propagated daily in this good old American religious system. John chapter 10 and verse 32 Jesus answered them, many good works have I shewed unto you from my father, for which of those do ye stone me? You know, and we could say the same thing. Well, uh, we're here, we're being obedient, and I always say, and of course, the Levitical priesthood was replaced by the Melchizedek. We know um, we don't bring animal sacrifice anymore. Israel is not in the land we do not live by the civil law of Moses that was given to Israel while they were in the land. But God's moral law has never been rescinded, will always be true. And let God be true, but every man a liar. And, you know, when we bring forth obedience to the law, just like Jesus said, well, I'm obeying the law of God. I can only say and do what it says is right and wrong. You know, which one of the on which one of my commandments that I'm obeying do you want to kill me? And they could probably give you a list. You know, they could probably give you a list. And every conflict we have with the world that incurs its hatred, it comes down to that obeying God's commandments. And that that's just it in a nutshell, if we will. Now, Brother Burgess said this, and this is the balance that we we have to be always aware to maintain. On page 88, we're, on, we're up in volume two now, Brother Burgess, he, and he talks about law and gospel. Spurgeon talked a lot about law and gospel. Wesley, every true preacher of God, Finney, 
everyone that preached the real gospel talked about law and gospel. And John Wesley, there's a quote I use frequently by him where he said, you just straight up, you cannot preach the true gospel if you do not preach the law of God. And Brother Burgess said, the word of the law to convince men of sin, to inform of duty, to make them sensible of their undone and damnable state that they are in. And this is what the the word of God tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. And just this week, there was an individual who prayed for salvation by someone um, very here locally. And this individual had no repentance. And because there was no repentance, there was no new birth and no change into the individual. No repentance, no new birth. It's that simple. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. First John 3, 4, for sin is the transgression of the law. People don't know what sin is anymore because the law isn't preached and sin's the transgression of the law. And when someone, oh boy, brings up that, you know, oh, you should not lie with a man as with a woman, ah! You know, boy, where are you coming from? Well, we're just coming from simple, fundamental obedience to God's law. And we we talked about this in another episode, that when you identify the world, Christ was identifying the religious system of his day as the world. And this is the way it is now. The world that will hate you for obeying the words of Christ and his law is that religious system we have. And it's just so obvious, and it's escalating. It's escalating to the place where the gloves are going to come off. They certainly are. Now, in the book of Proverbs, and here comes the conflict with the fallen man. Whenever you're enjoying sin, you have a way of justifying it in your own mind. You know, I had a guy tell me one time, and he was a deacon in a huge church in Evansville. And he was having an affair with another woman who says, you know, I, I provide for my wife. I love my wife and I'm not hurting her one bit of what I'm doing. And this is the mentality of so many people. Proverbs 16 and two says all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. And it's a common thing now. They're they're printing gay and lesbian Bibles. You know, you don't like what's in the Bible, just make your own Bible. And it, it's uh, it's where we're at. People used to, you know, and used to, if if someone would sin, they would at least know they sinned. But today, the justifying of sin is on the table. You know, don't you even tell me I'm wrong. This is where we're at. They don't even want to hear it. Uh, and if you don't condone what they're doing, and this is in so many ways and in so many areas, that's where the hatred of the world is coming to the place where the gloves are coming off. And we can see it. 
We can see it happening. We can see these words of Jesus uh, come true as they all will. And it's uh, it's happening very, very quickly. It really is. Thomas Manton. He said this, Brother Manton, he said, Christians that do not let the strictness and majesty of their conversations, if they keep the word that Christ has given to them. Now, note how focused they were on that. It says, if they keep the word that Christ hath given to them, that is, keep close to it, they must expect trouble. And we'll just tell everyone that listen to the doctrine of Christ. If you listen to what we're saying and you obey it, you'll have trouble. The world will hate you. And that's what Jesus, he was straight up about that. He didn't say, um, you know, follow me and it'll be daisies and lollipops. He said, Christ's subjects are the world's rebels. <laughs> you know, aren't we? You know, the the subjects of Christ were rebels. I've always had a little rebel in me, even back when I was a hippie. But, you know, we're the rebels of the world. You know what the world is telling us? We ain't going for it. Weren't you in the mafia, too? <laughs> well, I, 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 I don't know. Uh, well, no, I, no, I wasn't in the mafia. No, no <laughs> I'm Italian, but no, I wasn't in the mafia, Jimmy. Um, I thought that was just part of being Italian. Well, it uh, it is in some places. <laughs> <laughs> it is in some places. You know, I have I have some uh, colorful relatives on my dad's side. I certainly do. Um, yeah. Um, well, I'll not start down that rabbit trail. But he goes on to say, and if they will not forfeit their allegiance to Christ, the world will fall upon them. You must not expect friends in the world. And truer words were never spoken. And this is the, the statement in Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. All that live godly in Christ Jesus. And looking for friends in the world, this is one of the dividing lines between the true and the false. And between really accepting and believing the words of Christ and upset and accepting the words of the Father, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. And when you choose friends in the world, it's going to corrupt you. And just like Brother Manton said, you cannot look for friends in the world. It won't work. It won't work. And you're kidding yourself if you think that it, it, that worldly people won't turn on you. I guarantee you they will. Now in Galatians 4.29, Paul put it like this. But as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. 
if you're really born again by the Spirit of God and you're living in obedience to Christ, those that are of the flesh and have no new birth, they will persecute you. Now, let's read here what Brother Burgess said. And he said this on page 104. And he saw it. <laughs> you know, he wasn't speaking. You know, again, he was one of our Puritans in the 1600s. He see, saw that come down. He lived it. And he was one of them that had to flee. Um, he said this on page 104, volume two. He said, for seeing he hates a godly man for his godliness, then he must needs hate it wheresoever he sees it, you know, and we're at that point where anything that goes against this insane agenda, they hate it. They'll censor it. They'll censor it. They'll do anything they can to stamp it out and oppose it. And we need to realize the gloves will come off and it'll be more someday than just censorship against just uh, ranting emails and uh, trolls and chat rooms. It's, it's escalating. We need to realize the gloves will come off. And Brother Burgess goes on to say this. There was at first an enmity put between the devil and his seed and the woman and her seed. Though wicked men may sometimes flatter and applaud, yet the sting is still in their heart. And this goes back to the third chapter of Genesis and the 15th verse. This is sometimes called the Proto-Evangelium. It's the first messianic prophecy of Christ in Genesis 3.15. says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And he's talking now to the old serpent who he just cursed. He said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. And Jesus come forth as the seed of the woman born of a virgin. And Robert Candlish put it well. I'll read a little comment that he said upon this text. And he said, uh, this is from a book entitled Studies in Genesis by Robert Candlish, one of Spurgeon's favorites. He says, thus to Jesus, the seed of the woman, thou owest, O my guilty and enslaved soul, God's true liberty, instead of Satan's lying bondage, prolonged life instead of instant death. And instead of the shame of thine own nakedness, the white raiment of the worthiness of the lamb that was slain, only be thou united to Jesus as thy savior, be one with him as the seed of the woman, and thou art partaker with him in his victory. Still be thou in Christ, abiding in him as the seed of the woman and thy savior, and thou shalt have confidence and good hope through grace. If we are born again, by faith in Christ, we are of the seed of a woman. And who is the seed of the serpent? Is that talking about Satan having sex with Eve? It's talking about everybody that isn't the seed of the woman. You're either of the seed of the woman or you're of the seed of the serpent.
You, if you are not born again, you're going to be lost. You'll be of that seed that is there for nothing but utter damnation. But you have the ability. Christ died for everyone. And you have the ability to choose, repent, and believe the gospel, be born again. And when new birth takes place, and you don't, you're not a part of the seed of the woman by going to church and listening to sermons. Uh, you could sleep in a garage, but it wouldn't make you car. In First uh, Peter chapter one and verse twenty-three, it says here, "Being born again, not of corruptible seed." Mary was found to be with child by the Holy Ghost. It was the Holy Ghost. Sorry, our Mormon friends, it wasn't Joseph Smith that impregnated Mary. The Holy Ghost, she was with child by the Holy Ghost. We are born again the same way. The Spirit of God puts that seed within our heart. We are a miraculous creation that is comparable to the birth of Christ. And being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. This word of God is incorruptible. That means, and you know, for the word of God is incorruptible, that means that it doesn't matter how many demonic morons try to ruin the Bible. God's going to preserve it. God's going to preserve it. I want to read something from Fox's Book of Martyrs since I have it here. Um, Got it here somewhere. And in Fox's Book of Martyrs, and I wish every child of God would read it, and it's it's rough. And my goodness, you read that in the martyr's mirror. You got to take it a few pages at a time because, I mean, it's horrific. It's hard for us to think of one human being doing that to another. And it's even harder to get your mind around it that these were the folks down at the local church doing this. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's rough. But William Tyndale, who was martyred in 1536, he translated from the proper text, the Tyndale New Testament. And this was a lot of the, it was greatly used with the King James translators, uh, very good work. And I'll just read a little bit. This is on page 232 of the Book of Martyrs. It says, at last, after much reasoning, when no reason would serve, although he deserved no death, he was condemned by virtue of the emperor's decree made in the assembly at Augsburg brought forth to the place of execution, was tied to the stake, strangled by the hangman, and afterwards consumed with fire at the town of Vilvord, A.D. 1536, crying at the stake with a fervent zeal and a loud voice, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Less than a hundred years in 1611, out of that wicked Stuart Roman Catholic dynasty, there was a man that rejected Roman Catholicism, and God opened his eyes. And in less than a hundred years, King James authorized a proper translation. That means that he just allowed it to happen. Yeah, he didn't write none of it. 
he bankrolled it. Yeah. And it, it's an absolute lie. Um, that, and you know, I saw a comment in, on one of her teachings. I don't know if it was on DOC or not, but this individual, and he seems to like to make this repeatedly that, uh, I don't use the King. I think maybe he said he used the Tyndale. I, I can't remember, but anyway, he said King James is a Freemason and he was, uh, so I won't read the King James Bible, you know, and this is just really sad that you throw away the word of God. And if King James would have went out every evening, sit in the pasture and stuck marbles up his nose, it wouldn't have mattered because all he did was allowed to be published. And there's a lot more to be said about that, which is beyond the purview of our study. But it's, it's a sad thing when we don't realize that the men and probably half the King James translators were Puritans that were soon to go through this horrific fire persecution. And um, it's amazing. And you go back, you know, historically back in the 1500s in the reign of Bloody Mary, that's what produced the strength and the stamina. They come through the reign of Bloody Mary. And that's why there were so many really, really strong men of God that weren't reeds blowing in the wind. You know, they knew that to profess Christ was to risk the loss of your goods, your home, your life. So that's where it is, you know, and we need to we need to think. And what a powerful thing. This martyr of God, his dying prayer, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. And at that time, for them to have thought of a godly king of England would have been Really a big answered prayer, and it was. But God honored the prayer that martyr, William Tyndale, and within a 100 years, the Lord opened the King of England's eyes. So praise God. It's just a marvelous thing and and a very powerful. And at the same time, just like Brother Manton said, uh, you're not going to find friends in the world and if you do, evil communications will corrupt good manners, um, Matthew. And, you know, you can always you, you can evaluate relationships. Is this relationship going to draw me closer to God or is this relationship going to cause me to live not as close to God? It's just that simple. Matthew ten seventeen, Jesus said, but beware of men. <laughs> we we need to put that up on a post or something. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in the synagogues. Now, I wonder who that was, scourging them in their synagogues. Was that the Presbyterians? You know, maybe that was the, uh, the Assembly of God. I don't think it probably was, you know. And this brings us to another point that, um, a lot of people don't like to go here, so I guess we need to go here. In John chapter 16 and verse 2, and this also speaks to the time the gloves will come off. Um, I tell you what, John 16 and 2, we see Jesus speaking as a prophet. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he 
doeth God service. Oh, boy. Um, I made a statement on the midnight ride the other night, made a lot of people mad. I have a way of doing that. And I made the statement that I would feel more comfortable with the radical left than with the radical right. And I, I had a, I've been always a pretty bold and feisty fella. And I was actually, I spoke on Roman Catholicism in Columbus, Ohio. And I was invited to speak. There was a fellow there. I'll just give his name as James, James Wardner. And he was big in this Latin mass Roman Catholic movement. He's a rich dentist in Orlando. And they were having a conference there. And they don't believe that the Pope's the real Pope. But that's a long story. But anyway, he invited me to come to Orlando and speak at this conference in a Catholic church. So I did. Me and Sister Donna hopped on the plane and whoop, we went down there. Boy, we can tell you stories about that. But that night, I stayed in his home. And there were people, and I'll, I'll just drop another name, Michael Diamond, Holman, Holy Family Monastery in Brooklyn. And I was there, and of course, I was the only one there that uh, was not a Catholic. And we got to talking about stuff, and of course, it was, let's beat up the, the Protestant guy time. And got to talking about the Inquisition, and they told me, and they looked me in the eye, you know, this very thing was fulfilled. It says, the time cometh when whosoever thinketh, whosoever killeth you will think that he doth God service. Jimmy, they looked me in the eye, and there was about six of them there, and they said, if we would kill you right now, we would do you a favor because you'd have a cooler place in hell. I've seen that kind of hatred. Look me in the eye. And uh, it's just as much there when you get over here as when you're over here. And about that time, his wife came in and said, well, your bed's ready. Would you like to go to bed? And I said, oh, yeah, I think I'll turn in now. So but it was tense. I mean, it was tense. It was seriously tense. And I and during that well, I won't go through the whole story, but I told Donna that, you know, I there was so much hatred. There And the people, I won them over. They loved it. But the nuns and the priests that were there, I really didn't know if I wouldn't have just got jerked off the stage. It was that intense. But anyway, that's what I, you know, I made that statement. And a lot of people don't understand it. But I have seen it firsthand. I have looked it in the eye. And I know on the left, too, it's that bad. It's the point where Christians are being killed. But you better believe. And right now, that MAGA right wing, it's coming right out of that, out of that Jesuit right wing. Consinger, and I, well, I'll drop some names. Pasovic on America's Voice, uh, Steve Bannon, uh, Mike Davis. Uh, you know, these are the hardcore MAGA. They're Catholic. They're uh, almost mostly predominantly Jesuit. I've seen it. I've seen it. So there's my little rant. So I'm getting off my soapbox. But um, well, how did your speech go the next day? It went it went well. I, and the people loved it. I mean, and I preached. I was uh, I said, there's no way to Christ through any man or any earthly institution. It's through faith in the son of God and obedience to him. And I delivered it. 
and I delivered the payload and power and the people loved it. But I mean, the hatred was real. The hatred was real. It was real and it was intense. Well, they, they knew what you were about before they asked you there, didn't they? That I don't know why, you know, like, what were they thinking? I don't know. But they knew. And basically, because I was against their, their idea was that's not the real Catholic Church. We're the real Catholic Church, the Latin mass movement. Uh, so because I was critical of uh, back then, it was John Paul was still the pope. That's how long ago this has been. But because I was critical of him, they liked me. Gotcha. Because they they were, well, let's throw the Pope out and go back to Latin Mass guys. So, you know, that's why they had a connection with me there. But it didn't work out for them quite like they had planned. But, you know, and that was back in my wild and woolly days. That's going back there. You know, I um, but, you know. If I had an opportunity maybe to deliver a payload in a church, I still might do it, you know, but if they did, you know, they'd get the truth. And love, and there was another time, you're getting me off now, Jimmy, or I'm just off myself, but I preached at Ross Perot's home church in Texarkana, Texas. His cousin was the pastor, and it, well, it's a long story, but anyway, I was there, and I had uh, my material on my table, and I had demit forms for a Freemason that would repent, and he was reading that. And he, he said, you're really serious about this, aren't you? And my my presentation was entitled Freemasonry in the New Age Movement. And I still have a printed copy of that available through the ministry. But anyway, uh, I told him, I said, uh, I believe in speaking the truth. And, and what he said, he said, I have half a mind not to even let you go on. And I, I said, sir, if I go on, I will speak the truth and love but you will get both. You will get the love and you will get the truth. And it was so funny. His wife's mother was sitting there and she was an old time Methodist woman, had her hair up in a bun, you know, and right behind me, there was this, about a 12 foot stained glass Jesus with an all seeing eye right there at the top. And I was teaching on the third degree of Freemasonry and the all seeing eye. And all of a sudden that little woman started going, and she started pointing up to that all-seeing eye behind me. And she says, is that it? Is that it? And I knew it was there, but I turned around. I looked at, up at it, and I turned back at her, and I said, yes, ma'am, that's it. <laughs> and, oh, boy, if there was a lever that could have been pulled to shoot me through the floor, it would have. But And there was so much more, but I, I could go on. The, the whole thing was really wild down there. But, you know, if you really— stand for the truth, the world's going to hate you. You know, that's the point of the whole thing. Now, let's get back to Brother Burgess here, because it just seems like something about me. I'm inclined to just tell stories tonight, Jimmy, and I, I like stories, but... We should do story time with David one of these Story times. time with David. I tell you, I could tell you some. But anyway, let's read what Brother Burgess said here on page one hundred. And four, and Brother Burgess said this, but these are good examples of how, you know, the world will hate you if you just stand for the simple truth of, you know, well, 
salvation is just through Jesus, no man or organization. <laughs> or if you'll tell people, you know, now you can't be crawling around in the dark and your hands and knees swearing all stuff to gods. <laughs> Don't bring that up. Uh-uh. Now, Brother Burgess said uh, on 104, and he says, it is a cruel hatred. Who is able to reckon up the several kinds of torments that wicked men have invented to excruciate the godly within? No death for Christ would satisfy the Jews, but what was most ignominiously, most ignominious and painful, some were sawn asunder. And this is a direct quote from Hebrews chapter 11. And verse 37, it says, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destituted, afflicted, tormented. And this actually comes from a book called The Martyrdom of Isaiah. But what has happened, The Martyrdom of Isaiah, which is a good book, it was united with a book called The Ascension of Isaiah, which has some bogeys in it. So now a lot of people will get a hold of this compilation and they'll get some bogeys in there because the Ascension of Isaiah was united with this and published as one work sometime long ago. But anyway, I'll just throw that in. That's uh, kind of like, like how people think they'll, they might read book of second Enoch or third Enoch before they read yeah. the first book of Enoch and think that they're all the same and they'll realize – this is about magic and mysticism, and I, yeah. know, I'm not reading yeah. none of that. And I like to study non-canonical literature, but I'm first to tell you if, if you're if you're not gonna really pay attention, you need to leave it alone. Because there's guys out there on the internet. Oh, the there all these books should be in the Bible, and they're not. And I tell you, everything that's in the Bible should be in the Bible is in the Bible. It is complete, inerrant, preserved, and they'll just any old thing they'll throw out there and they just, uh, I, I tell you what, I'm sorry for anybody follow these people because they're going to take you straight to hell. They really will. And I want to read a little something just a little bit more on this thought on John chapter 16, verse two, where Jesus said the day will come when those that kill you will think they'll do you favor, or give you a cooler place in hell. And on, this is from, uh, Hen, Hen, I can't hardly say his name, Hengstenberg, E.W. Hengstenberg's commentary on John. Such a great comment um, on John 16, too. He said, in these words, there is involved the degenerating of the synagogue into a synagogue of Satan. The synagogue, which could not tolerate Christians within it, would show by that fact that it was no longer a congregation of the Lord casting out Christians. They would cast out Christ and with Christ the Father. The disciples were not voluntarily to depart out of the synagogue, but to await what would happen to them on a full proclamation of the gospel. Now, that's it. You know, when they fully proclaimed the gospel in the synagogue, you know, that's when you know, you're out of here. And you know, the same is true. What would happen if a lot of people would fully proclaim the gospel and truth in many of these churches that are on ever 
church corner in our land, you'd be out of there as quick as the early disciples were out of the synagogue. And and that's just the truth of it. And, you know, you can go there. Well, I don't believe like they do. Uh, I believe the truth. And but you just open your little mouth. You just open your little mouth and give a full proclamation of the gospel. And that's what showed the synagogue. Like it said, that synagogue, it showed itself to be a synagogue of Satan because they threw the believers out. And just like he said, you in we could read the scripture in first John. You can't have the father without the son. And if you reject Jesus, you reject the father because he was bringing the father's words. So just Hinstenberg is so true when they threw the Christians out. They threw out Christ and the Father, you know, so very, very true, a straight up, very, very good comment. Um, Thomas Manton on page 366, Brother Manton said this, and I don't like this very good, Jimmy, but I think I probably will have put it in that way. He says, thus you see Christians though in a private sphere that would live godly in Christ, must expect their share in the world's hatred. Now, the Lord permits it for a testimony, for a testimony to his servants, for a testimony against his adversaries. God chooseth his eminent servants to be his champions, that the world may know that there is somewhat excellent in their principles worth suffering for. God will not have his servants to go to heaven without a testimony, nor his enemies to go to hell without a testimony and a sting in their consciences. And I don't like this, Jimmy. Don't like it. My old carnal man, my, my new man in Christ likes it. But let's just think about what Brother Manton's saying. And they, the Puritans lived it. You know, the Puritans lived it. They put a warrant out for the arrest of Oliver Cromwell. And just like Tertullian said in the second century, to be a Christian was to be a public enemy. I mean, they would, uh, if you could catch a preacher within five miles of the church, you'd get a reward. In Mark chapter 13 and verse 9, um, and you know, sad to say, we're at a time where there's very, in, in my opinion, this is my opinion, but there's very little true gospel and truth coming out of Christian television and Christian radio. And this is the deal, that there's judges, there's lawyers, and there's politicians that the Lord wants to hear the truth. And sad to say, this is how some of it's going to happen, Jimmy. Mark chapter 13, verse 9, he said, But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus put it this way. Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse 13. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. And who's it going to turn to now, Jimmy? It says, and, I'm, and it shall turn to you for a testimony, 
Settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer, for I will give you a mouth and a wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay or nor resist. So be ready. Be ready and uh, to be obedient to the Spirit, and he will give you the ability to be a witness when the gloves come off. And that's a part of it. And my carnal man doesn't like it, Jimmy. But it's in the word, and my natural man does, though, because that's all right. And we need to know these things. We need to understand these things, that these things have happened many times in the past, and they're going to happen again. What Christ said about the reason of the world's hatred, it is true then. It was, it'll always be true until the very time that, that he returns on page 367 here, Brother Manton said this. He says, I like this tone. He says, to preach is to bait the world. We are to cross carnal interest, to wrestle with vile affections, to pull the beast out of men's hearts. And we are like to be bruised in the conflict. 1 Corinthians 15, 32, I have fought with beast at Ephesus. And that's what we do when we preach the truth and the true gospel. We are crossing the carnal interest of men. We are wrestling with their vile affections that they hold so dear to their heart. We are literally trying to pull that fallen nature out of them and bring them to Christ and to be the seed of the woman. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become there. Only through the miracle of new birth does that beast heart get pulled out of people. And that's what we do. We're baiting the world. You know, it's just like uh, kicking a hornet's nest. You know, things don't get exciting till you kick the hornet's nest. And that's what we do. We're kicking the hornet's nest. We're coming against the things that they dearly love. And, of course, the the results of that are obvious. In John, the Gospel of John, chapter 7 and verse 7, Jesus said this, The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. We'll just make that our memory verse for the week. There we go, John 7 and 7. The world cannot hate you, but it hateth me, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Yeah, that little temple down there, I think I'll just kick the money table and the money changes over. I'll just kick it out and run them animals out. And now that's that's not right. Well, we're going to kill you. And uh, that's the way it is. He testified of the evil of sin, of the evil of the religious system that was before him. And for that, the world hated him. And things haven't changed. They haven't changed one bit, Jimmy. Hmm. On page 368, Brother Manton said this. He says, the disciples first enjoyed Christ's presence and ministry and then were exposed to a dreadful persecution. Never was the gospel powerfully preached, but trials came. Now, boy, there's another one worth the price of admission right there. Never was the gospel powerfully preached, 
but trials came. It was true then. It's true now. And if we powerfully preach the gospel now, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying don't do it. Absolutely not. I'm saying, and you know, another one of the uh, Brother Burgess spoke a lot to the fact that the persecution won't in, interfere with our blessedness at all. But I think, as they would say, we're just being real here. We don't want to give anyone a false impression or leave them unprepared for that which will happen to them uh, when they need to count the cost. Jesus had a parable about if you're going to go to war, you need to figure out, well, do I have enough men here and horses to take this guy? And you need to count the cost before you go to war. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. And ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, comma, with joy of the Holy Ghost receiving the word in much affliction, and we read the scripture on our DLC about joy, doesn't hurt our joy, but we, I mean, we got to be, and and of course, that teaching on joy is so important. Everyone is important because every verse in John 17, it explodes into such dynamic concepts that you know these are the things we need. These are the things that Christ prayed for us that we become real in our hearts. And certainly this lesson today is, you know, we just need to be real about it. We need to know it. We need to understand it. We need to be be prepared for it. But in no way is this to in any way intimidate us or turn us into some kind of cowards. It should embolden us to stand up like these great men and women of God of old that stood for the truth of Christ at so much cost and personal loss to themselves. Hebrews 10.32, but call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. There's a great fight of afflictions for everyone that will stand for the truth of Christ and the truth of the Father. But hey, listen, that's all right. That's all right. And truly, it will be to our great blessing and to our eternal reward. First Peter chapter 4, verse 13. But rejoice inasmuch as you're partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happier ye. For the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on our part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody and uh, other men's matters. Now, I could get red hot, Jimmy. Yet if any man suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Amen.
I want to read something else here from Brother Burgess. And boy, this is something also we need to just be so aware of. And I just love these guys. I take what these guys bless my heart. Um, I don't see anybody around like them anymore. But on page 94, Brother Burgess said this. The best Christians that live have many infirmities cleaving to them. Can we anybody say amen to that? The best Christians that live have many infirmities cleaving to them. It cannot be denied, but that even the best Christians who are hated and do suffer in the world have yet many imperfections cleaving to them and do discover many infirmities of the flesh so that as none can be perfect in love of God or in any other grace, so neither enduring the hatred of the world. Oh, how hard is that rule of our saviors when men revile to be patient, when when men curse to bless and to render all good for all evil. These things do transcend human power. And these are things that we need to think about also. What do we do when the gloves come off and the world really comes at us with their fangs bared? And these are also many, many things that we need to think about. We need to think about now. And I'm just going to summarize some bullet points here. I'm not going to read the entire quote. Um, And these are kind of some bullet points from Brother Burgess. And he said, well, this he said it so well, I'm going to have to read this. Um, He said this on on page 97. And I tell you what, and I love it. He'll say doctrine and then he'll put a colon doctrine, colon, like pay attention. This is it. He said that the minister's duty is to deliver only God's truth to his cares. In that Christ said, he hath declared or given God's word to his disciples. Jesus gave the words of the father to his disciples as ministers of the gospel. That's our job to deliver only the word of God and the truth of God to people. That's it. There's no plan B. Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded them. It's just real simple. The words the father gave to Jesus, he gave to all of us. And that that simple and beautiful truth uh, incur the world's wrath. He said this, he goes on to say, his word, his truth in opposition to what is the word of man, what is a lie and a falsehood. The word of God is in opposition to the word of man. He says we are to deliver it purely. Some, though they preach the truth, yet they defile it with their additions. There's a lot of sermons um, you could listen to on radio. You're going to hear things that are true, but they're going to add stuff to it. (laughs) I I heard one. Sermon on the radio, and this guy was quoting some of the Puritans. And then at the break, right before the end of the show, they had their books to sell and stuff. And they talked about now Lent's coming up, 
What are you planning to give up for Lent this year? We have a little book offer here for Lent that your family will enjoy. I mean, hello, McFly. Come on. Uh, And then what are they not saying? You know, their silence is deafening. So many things need to be said right now. And the silence is deafening from these pulpits. He said, they are to deliver it upon a holy end or motive. And the only motive, there can be no equivocation. It's God's word. It's the whole counsel of God, that and nothing else but that. I think I'm going to read one more thing here from Brother Newton. I think we're going to put a ribbon on this one, Jimmy. All right. Brother Newton said this. He said, Jesus Christ himself was in the same condition with you when he lived in this world. You fare no worse than he did. And this is that which he himself propounds to his apostles and disciples to the very same end. And I'm going to read a scripture in John, the 15th chapter and the 18th verse. And here again, so many of the concepts that we see in John 17, they're amplifying and driving home the truths in John 14, 15, 16, emphasizing them, praying for us that we get it. I mean, this isn't a little thing that we receive the words of Christ and understand they're the words given by the Father. That's not a little thing. That's not a little thing to just read that verse and then just go back to church and uh, go down the water slide baptismal. Um, In John chapter 15 and verse 18, if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Jesus delivered them the words of the Father. They killed him, and he lets us know that that's going to be the reason why the world will hate us in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. We'll read just a couple more scriptures here. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committeth himself to him that judgeth righteously. And we're going to close with Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. It's such a powerful scripture in Colossians 24. And Paul was talking about suffering for Christ, which he did. Um, he suffered a lot. And... Um, But in Colossians 1 and 24, he talks about, and of course, it was Christ that appeared to him on the Damascus road and Saul, Saul, why dost thou persecute me? And I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting these Christians. Oh, they're your body. And this is the body of Christ. That revelation came there to Paul of the body of Christ right there. And he came to understand and he preached and he taught that 
as the body of Christ and as we do and teach what Christ did, we will complete the sufferings of Christ because Christ is present with us. And Jesus is literally suffering through us and with us. And let's just read the text. And we're literally fulfilling and continuing the sufferings of Christ because we really are his body. And we really are doing and saying what Christ, our example, told us to say and do. Let's read this text. It's so, so wonderful. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Phenomenal. And we are the body of Christ, and we truly can expect this world's hatred, but blessed are ye when men shall persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just pray that you open the hearts of people to prepare themselves to stand for the truth and for that which is to come. Father, we just pray that you just use this to unlock the doors of hearts to bring people to salvation. And Father, we just love you. And, you know, we can say the words, but only you can open the heart. So, Father, do that mighty work. In Jesus' name we pray and agree. Amen and amen. With all of my heart.